again and welcome to the Red Dwarf intro cast where we talk about Red Dwarf episode by episode. So we have a rarity this week with both Paul and Shane present and accounted for. What? Awesome. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I know. It hasn't happened for a while. We are glad to have the whole team back together as we talk about season five, episode six, uh, well, back to reality. There we go. Um, I was about to say Demons and Angels again because I just listened to that one yesterday. Um, so, uh, we're going to have Shane tell us what that's about, uh, what Back to Reality is about. But before we do that, let's get to know our guest, Ian. If hello. You tell the nice listeners, hello. Hi. Uh, uh, if you will tell the listeners who you are, where you're from, sort of your history with Red Dwarf, your favorite color, and any odds and ends and bits and bobs that you would like to throw in. Well, that's quite a brief. Uh, so I'll keep it to... Uh, I first watched Red Dwarf when I was seven years old, and the first episode I watched was Back to Reality, as it happens. Um, absolutely fell in love straight away and um, spent the next five, six years or so just watching the first six series back-to-back uh, over and over again in every spare moment. And so, inevitably, uh, I started a Red Dwarf fan site in 2002 called Ganymede and Titan, uh, which is still running... Uh, and we do uh, podcasts, uh, which you can listen to me rabbiting on about Red Dwarf. Uh, and outside of that, I also um, appear on TV every now and then and do um, comedy sketches online, which you can find at youtube.com slash THFTI if you're interested. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I forgot favorite so, colors. So, oh, favorite, yes, what is your favorite color? Uh, I'll go for purple. Nice. <laughs> so you're kind of familiar with Red Dwarf, is what you're saying? Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> having spent 20 years of my life devoted to it. Maybe caught uh, an episode here and there. <laughs> going to conventions every two years, uh, helping to organize conventions. Uh, I've appeared on a DVD, uh, went to see the new series recorded four times. I'm pretty familiar with Red Dwarf. Cool. Well, Ian, we are so glad to have you on. Um, and you know what? Though we we uh, got mixed up and didn't do our usual shtick, so we know who Ian is. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm Angela. I'm Shane. And I'm Paul. And together we are Wild Stallion. Get out of here! Well, <clears throat> back to reality. Back, back to reality. Back to Red Dwarf. That's... Okay, uh, Shane, tell us, what is Back to Reality all about? The crew arrive at an underwater world where every life form has committed suicide. They seem they are all victims of the despair squid, which starts to infect Croton, Lister, and the cat with its depressive power. They try to escape in Starburg, but the squid comes after them and they crash. The words Game Over appear, and they've been playing a total emotion video game and the last four years were all make-believe. In reality, they are Sebastian Doyle, his half-brother William Doyle, cybernautic detective Jake Bullitt, and Dwayne Dibley. Or are they? Or are they? They're not. <laughs> so, I have, to, uh, I have to, to crow just a little bit here. I think I came as close to properly predicting the episode as I ha- ever have. 
Yeah, I was. I, I said to Darren last week. I when you were making your predictions, I said to Darren, I was like, I swear he's watched the episode already. <laughs> we no. knew something was up because as soon as he started talking, like I heard typing in the background, and everyone got really quiet. Like, oh crap! We have so, a witch yeah. on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was pretty close. I thought it was going to be that Lister was going to wake up in the cryopod. Mm-hmm. Um, still, still uh, in but, universe. Nope. Yeah, still, still in universe. I didn't think about it being um, a different universe, um, similar to something else. But we will talk about that a little bit later. Um, all right. Well, let's get started into this episode. Then we start out underwater because apparently Starbug can go underwater, which is cool. Yes, I think most spaceships. Should be able to go underwater. Well, you know, it has crashed into water before, so yeah, but it floated. Yeah, but now it has there scuba. Was, <laughs> there was a planned um, model designed by the visual effects team that they uh, didn't have the budget to uh, to build in the end. Uh, it was called Seabug, which was Aww. a modified a modified version of Starbug, which was loosely based on uh, Thunderbird Four. Uh, they'd never got around to making it, but they have uh, since released the plans. Oh, I would have liked to have seen the sea bug. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Aww. Question for you, Ian. Um, Go on. Who was who it that makes the model? Who was it that made the models? Uh, well, it was headed up. Um, this is sort of the original series we're talking about now. Uh, yeah. It was headed up by uh, Peter Rag, who sadly passed away uh, about a year ago. And um, it was all sort of in-house um, BBC visual effects team, uh, which he was uh, the head of department. And then you had people like uh, Mike Tucker, who um, now works on Doctor Who, uh, the new series, uh, Alan Brannan, wow. um, Rocky Marshall, and uh, the DOP was uh, Peter Tyler. Oh, and um, that now they run, they've all left the BBC, but um, Mike runs a company called The Model Unit, which is that team altogether still working. That's cool. I only asked because, like, you, like you just mentioned, uh, the sea bug was going to be um, modelled on Thunderbird Four, and mm. and then obviously in the episode where uh, we we're all first introduced to Ace Rimmer, he's got um, his rocket, so to speak, his ship yeah. that vaguely resembles a Thunderbird. I can't remember which one it is though, and I just think there might be a, a, a Thunderbird influence on the well, Peter Rag did work on Thunderbirds, uh, and um, I think Captain Scarlet as well. So yeah, there's a lot of Jerry Anderson influence in there. Cool, cool. I think there should be more of a Thundercat influence myself, but <laughs> oh, you've got the cat. Oh, you. <laughs> oh my, uh, yeah. I, I always or admire Dwayne. the model work on the show in general. Uh, let's see. They find out. Uh, oh yeah, they're checking out a ship hoping to do some salvage work, find the black box, it's the Esperanto, and, uh, yeah, there was supposed to be, uh, teeming life in this ocean. I thought that that was a, it was a cool premise that they're trying to seed, uh, life. Mm -hmm. They're trying to do, like, a modified Genesis project. Which didn't work uh, out. Yeah, it didn't, didn't really work out. But still, the, the idea of aqua forming, uh, so to speak, um, a, a bio system seems pretty cool. Until the despair squid comes along, you know. Yeah. Though I did wonder if uh, everything killed itself, then um, how has the despair squid survived and for how long? 
Um, it's probably been accounted for. <laughs> it's it's hyper evolved. It doesn't need to eat very much to survive. It's been it's been hibernating this whole time. Yes. It, fe- it feasted so much. Turns out it was Cthulhu the whole time. Oh no, <laughs> not Cthulhu. Yang <laughs> Sofa. Uh, okay. Interesting. Um, alright, so. Uh, okay, they realize there's something going on. They're gonna get away. Run away! They have a discussion about birds and how they can swim. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, and then they find, of course, rotting corpses. Okay, I want to know what sort of hallucination a fish has to have to commit suicide. <laughs> like, what causes a fish despair? Um, the greenhouse effect or the ocean's drying up? John Smith's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, of course! <laughs> Is it John Smith? You mean like Long John Silver's? No, John Smith, the, the people who make the can tuna. Is it John? Oh, yes, John Smith. West. John West, that's it. That's John the one. Smith, I've got John alcohol Smith. on the, yeah, yeah, John Smith is yeah. beer. Yeah. John West. That, that's not one of our brands over here. No. no. We have Starkist and Bumblebee and Chicken, chicken of the Sea. Chicken, chicken of the Sea, of the sea is not chicken. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's tuna. Okay. Tuna is metaphorically the chicken of the sea. Um. Metaphors are hard. After coming across the suicidal fish, or suicidal haddock, which would make a great name for a rock band. Of course it would. Um, Opening for Wild Steins. So they're running away, and at this point, I have my note here. Okay, we're dealing with an unreliable narrator at this point. We can't trust any of these scenes. I Mm -hmm. actually wrote that, um, because I was wondering at what point the episode would be something that was not real. Uh... And they started talking about the suicide squid, which is a funny name. Uh, you called it. I, I didn't um, predict that when I was seven, but that was probably because I was seven. <laughs> you're, far, you're far more aware of the conventions of the genre. So, yeah, I guess you, you view things in a slightly different way. Yeah, this yeah. Is, I think we, we're having a weird, ex- uh, sort of atypical Red Dwarf experience yeah. doing things in this podcasty way. So, speaking of podcasts, if anybody on the uh, Buffy intro cast is listening right now and is a newbie, or if you don't want to be spoiled on plots of Buffy the Vampire Slayer... That happened uh, in season six, I think. Yes, season six. um, Stop listening now (laughs) and tune back in, I'm going to say, in one minute, and we should be past it. Uh, If not, then, you know, I'll I'll edit what I'm saying right now, so... Uh, stopping and start one minute now. Okay, so there's this Buffy episode that is so <laughs> much like this. It I'm really sorry, is. can I just say something? you sounded so much like a high school cheerleader so this one time. Oh my god. There <laughs> is this Buffy okay. episode. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay, I have to do this in a minute though. So yeah, there's an episode called Normal Again in which she gets like stabbed by a demon that has this poison and so she like wakes up and all of her years of slaying, she has been hallucinating in a psych ward. Mm-hmm. And they have to decide whether... And she keeps switching back and forth between the two and doesn't know which reality is real. And it's really creepy and it's yeah. really sad. And it reminded me a lot... Uh, this episode of Red Dwarf reminded me a lot of that. So, In fact, I... It was pretty cool. Yeah, I expected the 
the episode to end with um, them still. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think we're about at about a minute, so we will stop talking about it now. Okay. The minute's over. Yeah. Indeed. Um, all right. So you just had to throw that in there. Okay. Can't believe so, Buffy dies. I know. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, I've not seen it yet. After they find out about the smoke monster and the aliens. (laughs) Okay. Then it turns out it's a child's dream who's staring at a snow globe. (laughs) In the shower the whole time. Now that I would be interested in seeing Buffy in the shower. (laughs) The snow globe, that was was St. Elsewhere, wasn't it? It was St. Elsewhere. But the funny thing is, St. Elsewhere um, uh, crossed over with several different shows, Mm -hmm. so that, like, if that's true, then, like, five other shows must be imagined by this child. (laughs) Like, X-Files. All the things that that they cross over with, it's got exponentially... I think Red Dwarf's within that bubble. There's a a whole website dedicated to it. (laughs) The grand unification theory of crossovers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all and how many degrees trucks. from Kevin Bacon? <laughs> so back to reality. So back to reality, yes. Uh, okay, so um, then, like, they crash, and uh-huh. Angela, we're sitting there on the couch, and Angela's like, the end, last episode. And <laughs> then the screen starts flashing game over, and I'm like, okay, yeah. It is the end. Um, and we learn that, yes, they were in a total immersion video mm-hmm. game. Uh, they were all playing characters. They don't quite remember who they originally were yet. My note here is, did I freaking call this? Holy crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> River's not even a hologram. Um, Operated by Wormtail. So, at this yes. point, at this point within the fiction of the episode, um, did you think that that's that that was real, that that's the route that they were going down. No. No, I, I, was, giving it, I was giving it maybe a 10% chance that they were going to stay with that, but no. Can, can, I, can I tell you my reaction when I very first saw that game over bit, and then the role in the video game? Uh, mine was like, what the... <laughs> because I'd, I'd, I'd like immersed so much time in, in the Red Dwarf series, and then for them to end it like that, I was like, I was so angry. Yeah. Exactly. But then... And that's... Yeah. But then I watched the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's uh, what I was saying last week, to where if they actually did this thing and made a full-on timeline ch- or uh, reality change mm-hmm. and negated everything before this point, I would not continue with mm-hmm. the show. That's why I didn't seriously consider that they might do so within this episode. Um which is part of why the new Star Trek series sort of gives me hives sometimes. <laughs> because they have, in essence, erased the whole of the original timeline of Star Trek. They didn't erase it, it just didn't happen in that timeline. But it still happened. Just not in that timeline. Something <laughs> occurred to me the other day within the Red Dwarf universe. Uh, I think, yeah, I can talk about this without talking about anything you haven't seen yet. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, do you remember the end of Time Slides when Rimmer um, comes back and he's alive and then he blows himself up again yeah. and dies? Yes. Well, that means that he didn't die in the radiation leak. Uh, he didn't die when the rest of the crew died, which means that his last words weren't gazpacho soup in front of the captain. Oh. oh. 
Yeah. Don't try, try not to think about that too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Saying that, Good though, uh, if you go back to... Oh, God, I'm going to say, what's the episode? The Inquisitor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've, yeah. they've, you know, when he died, all his hard work has been undone. Yeah. So... Yeah. Did he, actually, did he actually do any hard work? I know, that, that's what we were discussing. Mm. Like, mm. all of the people ended up in the same place, so... So, anyway, the new old characters. <clears throat> yeah. What did you think of them, Heath and Angela? That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I liked this idea. I think I, I liked Crichton the best. Jake Bullitt. Jake mm. Bullet, yes. Because... I, I just sort of pictured him as, um, you know, if this was real, then I pictured him as, like, wearing that trench coat and being, like, super, super um, serious about being a cop, but just being a traffic traffic cop. I was sort of picturing uh, Nick Frost in Hot Fuzz a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's more of a cop fanboy, but also happens to be a cop. <laughs> he got really excited when he thought he was this devil may care detective. Oh yes, all of the quotes around there are so nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, when I first it, watched this episode, it was all about Dwayne Dibley for me. Yeah, In fact, yeah. like <laughs> obviously, <laughs> as a first episode for someone to watch, it relies quite a lot on your knowledge of the characters. But yeah. on on that one basic level, to a seven year old uh, man walking around with funny teeth. Saying yeah. silly things. It really worked on that level. <laughs> I love Dwayne. Dwayne. Plastic sandals. Oh, I, I mean, but like, what? I mean, what must that be like to sort of cultivate this ultra cool uh, sort of hip image mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to present this really uh, awesome image to the world and then just all of a sudden, you know, change your name to Dwayne? I mean, who would do that? Like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Somebody did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Rock. Oh, God. <laughs> Dwayne. Well, he, I think, he's serious I think... about being an actor. He's a cool guy. Mm. Uh, he's really funny. But, I, you know, and, and I realize that if you're going to be an actor, you probably can't go by The Rock in every movie that you're in. And but the winner for he... the best, uh, kind of <laughs> best Actor Award. Best Dramatic Performance. <laughs> Yeah. The Oscar For goes to spot on the, the Rock. Ta- on... The Rock. <laughs> I think it works. I'm still, still disappointed that it's Marky Ma- uh, Mark Wahlberg rather than Marky Mark. I know. <laughs> but yeah, he he had made a, a really cool image, and then his name is Dwayne, which yeah is sort of a sort of a geeky name. A little bit, um, yeah. Just to go off a little tangent here, I read an article the other day. Apparently, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch are, are thinking about making a comeback. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All of the Funky Bunch? I believe so. <laughs> I, don't. I don't know who the Funky Bunch are. I know Me the... neither. <laughs> okay. Well, back to the episode. Back to Rio. Um, let's see, yeah. So, and Craig when... Charles has weird hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, human Crichton cat with his amazing teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next note here is, oh my goodness, it's Wormtail. Yeah. As, uh... Peter Pettigrew shows up to ask how they like the game. Yeah, that was Timothy's... actually Timothy Spall. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Timothy yeah. Spall was amazing in that. Mm. He only had to like the shortest cameo, but it was it was hilarious. Mm. It was and actually it... a 
first sitcom in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. Really? And he's incredibly nervous. So much so, on the first take, he garbled his words at an incredibly fast pace. If he, made a, if he made a mistake, he would simply keep going, which Rick's blowing the jokes in front of the audience. <laughs> he also... That was really good. He also had an extreme reaction uh, when he went into the makeup room and saw Robert Llewellyn being done up as Crichton because he'd previously appeared in uh, a kid's show uh, with a prosthetic pig mask on mm. and he had such a traumatic experience that the smell of the rubber um, uh... set him off and he had to leave the room. Oh my. So he didn't have a great time, but it was a good performance. It was. It was, yeah. It was, though... To make another Harry Potter reference with our Harry Potter actor, well, you know, actor of other things, but I first saw him as Wormtail, then um, he sort of reminded me of Stan Shunpike. Like, oh, you're oh, supposed yeah. to do that, in it. Yeah. Um, I've got, I've got a last going. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, about Ian and Shane, sorry. Okay. Um, Fine. You know, have you ever thought about what... what I know it was like a, um, a, a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, what? <laughs> but um, you ever thought what could have happened if any of what Timothy Spall said about what to do and stuff was actually true? See, I was joking mm-hmm. that, you know, if I was Rimmer, I would be uh, checking that swimming certificate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be looking for the I'll be looking for the planet of the nymphomaniac. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but that's yeah, me. I wonder if someone's wrote some fanfic where he's actually gone to that swimming certificate and looked for the mocha dot. There was. I don't know, but of... I bet someone has written a fanfic about the planet of the nymphomaniacs. <laughs> Put your hands on me, you. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> The, um, I, I did love off. how Lister looked in the little view screen and saw like the people playing the video game much mm. better than they did. Oh yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, what, what were you we oh, saying? That, there? That. The um, Red Dwarf uh, magazine, yeah. which was uh, which came out around about this time, had a lot of comic strips based on Back to Reality. Uh, there was one that um, had an alternative history of Red Dwarf with the new crew. So old episodes re-looked at Love it. Uh, from wow. you know with the cool crew. There was also a Jake Bullet series um, and a Dwayne Dibley series. There's a lot of things spun up from this episode. Wow, you know that's um, again s- sort of similar to oh, and this I can talk about without um, spoilage, I believe at this point. Uh, but yeah, it's sort of like how. Uh, Buffy's sister Dawn just appears mm. in season five, mm. and there's a lot of no, no, there's some fan fiction, but even some you know uh, uh, like comic books and whatnot that tr- that sort of speculate as to Dawn's history when she was there, yeah, when she really wasn't. Mm. So what was Dawn doing in the Buffy season two episode in which she didn't exist? Mm-hmm. Then you know, uh, yeah, it, it's fun to do when when sci-fi shows like give you opportunities like this to sort of speculate on uh, the alternative timelines and realities. Of yeah, course, when if it Red was... Dwarf is at his absolute best is when you go away from the episode and you 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 th- you're still thinking about it like it's made you laugh mm-hmm. in the moment, but you, mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why you keep coming back to Red Dwarf after all these years. Yeah. Of course, if it I was... did have a question. Oh, okay. No, that's okay. okay. Um, 
the the whole truth about Rimmer thing uh, in the swimming certificate. I, I believe the swimming certificate had been mentioned um, before in an episode. I mean, it, it at least tickled my brain. So if it hasn't, oh yeah, I, I guess yes, I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Because it mentioned but Arnold Rimmer, BSC, uh, SSC. Right, best swimming certificate. Yes, bronze okay. swimming certificate, silver swimming certificate. Had had they mentioned in show though that he couldn't swim? No. 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 Okay. Because I was thinking, you know, did I, excuse me, did I miss that? Is that a, a show contradiction that, that I never picked up on? It's uh, one of those convenient lines for the benefit of a gag. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, I, I thought it might have been like the an end joke with the writers, like, oh yeah, you remember in this episode he hid the swimming certificate, and then like five episodes later we forgot about that and said that he couldn't swim. Let's go ahead and make fun of it here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That Which sounds happens. like the kind of thing that they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we find out uh, that Lister in the video game was supposed to jumpstart the second Big Bang. Yes. And turn out to be God, which uh, sounds like a nice Hitchhiker's Guide reference. <laughs> and that, again, that does sort of fire something off in the back of your brain because Lister was seen as God to the cat people. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so it's it's not quite the same thing, but it's that sort of, oh uh, yeah, Lister is God, we can buy that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it reminded me of when he was playing pool with planets oh yeah mm. uh, let's see we learn about Dwayne Dibley with his ugly clothes <laughs> plastic sandals man plastic sandals hey they're back they're just called Crocs now <laughs> and they're still ugly <laughs> but oh so comfy um and Jake Bullet, cybernautic detective. Jake Bullet. I want to know about Jake Bullet. I, I I would love to read some of the some of the spinoff material with Jake Bullet, cybernautic detective. Just waving his arms, letting one one row of traffic go through, then putting his arm out to stop it, and then letting <laughs> another row of traffic go through. It's, it's... See, but it would be. It would be cool, though, if he were, like, okay, if he were traffic control, mm-hmm. but just due to odd uh, conflagration of, of events, then he, like, ends up solving murders and whatnot as a traffic controller, <laughs> and like Jessica Fletcher and, and Murder, she wrote. Like, oh, I'm going to go on a vacation. Oh, three people got shot on the boat on the way there, huh? And, like, wherever she goes, death and mayhem follow. She um, must be the unluckiest woman alive. Really? No, or, either that, or she is the murderer. <laughs> she commits all the murders. She has things and blackmail on the uh, the uh, supposed murderers' families, and she forces them to take the rap so that she can continue murdering and writing. She's like Moriarty, man. And uh, next on the Murder She Wrote podcast, we have <laughs> an interview from. Um... Let's talk about the captain. No, okay. We Jake dead. Bullet, traffic homicide. <laughs> Um, and then we have the Doyles. The Doyles. The Doyles. Okay, part of the despair is not just that, you know, they had the same parentage and one was, like, more successful and the other was less successful, but mm-hmm. they were brothers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't stand that. <laughs> <laughs> that itself would lead to suicide, I think. <laughs> I think the Doyles are my favorite thing about the. Obviously, there's Dwayne Dibley and Jake Bullet, but in terms of the um, the reasons for the despair, I think Rimmers is the most interesting as 
most character studies are most interesting when they're about Rimmer. It's the fact that yeah, he's always he's always sort of been envious of Lister, and the best example of that is in uh, Thanks for the Memory, mm-hmm. where he's, he compares him to a, a fried egg sandwich. And uh, yeah, it's just it's another layer of him thinking, well, I could have been like Lister if I'd have had the breaks and the privileges. But yeah, he mm-hmm. did have the exact same upbringing as Lister, and yeah, it's. It's it's all completely. That's why the episode works so well. Is that when Crichton explains everything at the end, you just you just nod and you say, "Yep, I got that." It all mm-hmm. makes sense. I, I can't believe. Yeah, it did make a lot of sense, and I can't believe I didn't pick up on where they were going with it. Mm-hmm. Like okay, that the cat having no sense of style should have been the big clue. Yeah, maybe yeah. the other ones weren't quite as as glaring at, at on first glance, but yeah, after it's explained, it's like, how did I not see that? Well, you know, it's most obvious with the cat, because the cat doesn't have many character facets. He's right. fun, yeah, but... Superficial is his middle name. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he considers spiritual enlightenment a distraction from the quest for fashion. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I did love the the game on Machine 16 that Angela mm-hmm. was talking about there. And, and yeah, the... Mm-hmm. I didn't. I I didn't right after watching because I've watched I've watched this episode. I, no joke, I watched it about fifty, sixty times. Okay. And lightweight. Right <laughs> and smart. Right. And that fit when they're looking in the machine is the only bit that bugs me in the whole what? episode because they've only just got into the machine and they're already that far into the game. Well, that just goes to show well, how crap our crew was. Uh, <laughs> it took them four years and they hadn't even got that far. I, uh, only, it just bugs me. Hmm. Okay, was it, and again, I, I only saw it just recently here. Uh, was the crew that he was watching, was it definitely the same actors that walked into that room? Yeah. 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 Okay. I was going to say maybe that was like another game oh. that have multiple instances of the game playing, but no. It was the same, because they did it. I apologise if I offend anyone, but they had a Chinese um, Crichton, yeah. both of them, and that's the only way I, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Well, Asian. I don't want to like single out a single country. <laughs> I may as well offend well, the whole race. Well, considering that this this episode towards the beginning, Crichton is like looking at the people committing suicide mm-hmm. and calls one Oriental. And that he has committed seppuku. I don't think there's much Harry you can Curry. say to top that. <laughs> I thought it was Harry Kiri or whatever it was. <laughs> well, no, seppuku is the samurai, um, like... The series of cuts to the building. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. with the short sword. But still, it's like, oh, he he's oriental, which is, you know... My mom well, still says just... that, and it makes my skin crawl just a bit. But I, <laughs> term, I can't wait till you guys get to... recently. Yeah. Go on, well, what you say? Sorry. I can't wait till you guys get to series ten. That's all oh, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay. Um, what did I say here? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I have this note here where it says gun guy is a bit crazy, so I had to remember where I was. Though. Okay, <laughs> I love their outfits coming out of the of the, of the uh, uh, entertainment place. Mm. Um, Lister rocking that that uh, sort of business. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
and Rimmer looking surprisingly cool in his uh, crazy uh, yak <laughs> urine stained hobo outfit. Well, I think they wanted to make sure everyone looked better than Cat. I thought Cat looked yeah. awesome in his in his <laughs> in his teeth. Gear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then uh, we find out that maybe the government of the uh, reality that they're in isn't mm. so terribly nice, and. Um, then they get accosted by a really creepy guy with a gun. Oh, I've got to talk about this guy. It was a bit part, but it was highly effective. Hmm. The actor's name is Lenny Von Duhan. Du- Duden. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, I appeared on uh, the Dive Dwarf cast that, um, well, that was hosted by Ian just a few weeks ago. Hmm. And one of the influences of me getting this pod- this lovely podcast together was listening to the uh, Twin Peaks podcast. And we've had Matt, who's the lead host of that podcast, on our show before. Mm-hmm. And we have a Red Wolf Twin Peaks crossover. Hmm. Oh, is he in Twin, Twin Peaks? Peaks? Yeah. Okay. He plays Harold Smith in Twin Peaks. Okay. I've seen the first episode of Twin Peaks. That's one more than me. <laughs> Ditto. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I could probably get into it, but I just don't have the time to start a new show. Yeah. The, fir- the first 15 episodes are absolutely amazing, and it goes downhill from there. Yeah, that's like um, whenever uh, one of the uh, shows that uh, we watch, uh, whenever the commercials come on for uh, Heroes, then mm. they always show the first season. I'm like, yeah, the first season of Heroes is awesome. Don't watch anything past that, though. <laughs> I liked all of um, Heroes. It just, it, it didn't uh, go anywhere. Did you like the woman whose power was crying a bit? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Allie Larder started out as this awesome character and then they kept, like, giving her other characters to play once her characters would get killed off. And they just got mm. progressively more boring. And then Mohinda turned into a spider, I seem to recall. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Hero spoilers, but yeah. Him and, him and Barkley, man. No, they did a good job spoiling it themselves. We don't need to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Because a different meaning of the word spoil. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, next Back to reality. Cast, we're going to talk about... Uh, okay. uh, let's see. We're going to um, be talk- we're talking about a multi-story car park in, Shep- yes. in Shepperton Studios where this scene was filmed. Yes. And is the Nissan Versa really the... Um, <laughs> gun guy? Yeah, very effective part there. He, yeah. He's cool. Uh, Lister finds out that he's something called the Voter Colonel, mm. Sebastian Doyle Ministry of Alteration. Uh, he changes people from alive to dead mm. to purify democracy. So we get sort of this Orwellian, yeah. creepy Big Brother future mm. going on here. Yeah, I'll I have. Go ahead. Sorry, 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 Angela. I have in front of me an article um, from Starburst Magazine in 1991, where this person whose name I can't seem to find, um, actually uh, wrote an, uh, uh, visited the set while this scene was being filmed. Mm-hmm. And the basically the highlights 
are in one of the breaks between um, while well, they were doing shots, Chris Barry was teaching one of the makeup girls to waltz. <laughs> okay. Wait, what? Something to do, I guess. S- something. Wa- oh, okay. Mm. He was teaching a makeup girl how to waltz. Oh, mm. cool. Because why not? I, you um, know, I liked how um, instead of like citizen or comrade or something like mm. that, uh, then it was voter. Mm. Like, oh, that's creepy. Like, it's calling them by the name of, you know, having control and having a voice in your own mm-hmm. government, but they don't. So it's, it's like very mocking. quick. It's very um, short amount of screen time, but it's a really believable world that they mm. build of this dystopian future, and it's really mm-hmm. all in that scene where you learn so much. But it it's one of the things that, as Crichton explains at the end, it really ties into Lister, who's for you know for the last three or four series more than ever has been the the moral heart of the crew and is always making the correct moral decision. Yeah, and yeah, they built up this complete alternative universe in about three minutes. It looks sort of Blade Runner-ish to mm. me. A little bit. Mm. And the darkness and sort of the vague lights around sort of shabby neo-noir. Mm-hmm. But see, the use of the word voter there is it is very telling mm. because it deals with the incommensurability between shifting paradigms <laughs> which in turn can have the nearly opposite meaning mm-hmm. after the paradigm shift. And so, okay, I've been doing way too much reading, and that's where my mind is. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, um, <laughs> just got to, I got to tell you this quite little funny story. Actually, uh, Rob's little boy Joe, um, that's, that's Rob Grant, I should say. Yeah. Um, uh, li- uh, little boy's uh, Joe visited the set that particular evening. Um, the call comes for quiet on the set. And little Joe has other ideas. And after a couple of minutes, his mum has to take him out and watch the filming from the outside broadcast van. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, after uh, crazy, creepy gun guy is about to uh, gun down young Gavroche, then um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Crichton straight up kills the guy. Uh, and we like get our you first do. sort of flash. Yeah, like you like you do. And Crichton, we get our first sort of flashback to what's really happening on the mm. on the, in reality. Um, he's playing around with a crossbow. <laughs> um, and I was like, yep, completely unreliable narrator. Yep. And then I had to speculate. Once it started showing um, them doing all this stuff together, I was like. So apparently the toxin not only causes hallucinations, but a low-level telepathic link. Yeah. There, so that mm. they can all occupy the same... Uh, hallucination, uh, hallucination, yeah. Yeah. That whole scene where they're running around the boxes and doing the yeah. air quotes here, limo. Um, mm-hmm. Well, once we posted the Smegups after this episode recorded, mm. we'll see how many takes it took to do that scene. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay, but how fun was it that they could narrate this huge, big-budget car chase mm. that's, like, from a freaking Die Hard movie, and mm. <laughs> they don't have to film a thing? Oh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> it's like being back at drama school. Mm. I was just about to say, I um, 
did this sketch as part of a, uh, a school assembly performance Aww. once. <laughs> Look out, speed bumps. <laughs> See, now that's one, I think, area where you can really tell the difference between Red Dwarf and something like Star Trek. Mm-hmm. If you had asked the, the Star Trek actors to film that scene, they could have done it in one take. Because, of course, we all know that as soon as they're fighting another ship, mm-hmm. then they all have to fall in the same direction mm. as the ship gets shaken <laughs> and have shaky camera Star Trek action. If you learn anything acting on Star Trek, it's how to fall and jump mm. and react to motion that's not happening simultaneously yeah. with the rest of the group. Yeah, I think, in fact, understand. the last episode, we had some fairly sloppy Star Trek action. <laughs> I, I could never understand why the Enterprise never had seatbelts, but... Well, the thing is, the ship has artificial gravity. It has to. It could be flying, because there's no gravity in space, Mm. it could be flying upside down in relation to whatever half the time, Mm. and nobody would know the difference. Mm. Yet the first time it gets bumped by a torpedo, everybody jumps. So, like... Why why can't the artificial gravity stay constant? Yeah, uh. and, and I just wonder why they have the bridge holding the most important crew members and the most important operating crew at the top of the ship like mm. a target. <laughs> no, some, some nut in an A-wing is going to crash through that, and then so much for the executor. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If you've just tuned in, um, <laughs> on, on this episode of the Red Dwarf Interocast, we've been to Murder, She Wrote, Heroes, <laughs> Star Trek, Buffy, Twin Star Peaks. Wars. What's next? <laughs> we need to do a huge crossover episode. Yes. No, okay. we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then we, we get sort of the reveal as Holly... Tries to get them out of uh, out of their hallucination. Uh, we get the big reveal uh, eventually after they uh, they stop just before. Im- okay, it, it would have looked really really cool if they would have had one giant harpoon going through all four of their heads. It would have yeah. been very sad. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, I wanted at least one arrow to just be like a fake arrow, just to be sticking mm-hmm. out of Crichton's head for a while. Mm-hmm. I totally thought they were going to do that. Yeah, like when they showed him um, holding the crossbow and then firing at his head and it and it clicking in inside the hallucination. I thought we were going to come back at the end of the episode and he were like, "We seem to be fine." Unfortunately, I do have this arrow in my head. <laughs> <laughs> really does put a crimp in your day. Yes, indeed, it does. Doesn't it? <laughs> Okay, let it stand for record, though. Go ahead. Sorry. What? No, go ahead. Let it stand for record, though. Holly saves the day. Mm. She did. Legit. Using one of her four lines in the episode. Mm. Yes. Yes, but still. She picks him up for the hallucination, and she single-handedly blew up a a suicide squid. Mm. Yep. You know, I like the gun guy, but I sort of wish they had uh, repurposed their actress and used uh, Hattie in that capacity? Well, either for that part or maybe like one of the operators yeah. of, um, of the gaming. She was on Machine 16. Oh. oh. She I was, didn't yeah. recognize her. Because she didn't bro- talk. 
Well, she's, I know it's on, on screen for literally, I don't know, five, ten seconds, but she is mm. there. Okay. I really like the idea of her being, yeah, if they could have used her as as part of the uh, the company that operated the game, and so mm. they put a, a, a character in the game that's based on the person who runs the company or something. Mm. To yeah. Get that link. It would have been funny, mm. that, yeah. you know the nurse who came in and who asked her just a dibbly party? Mm. Yeah. It could have been, that was her. <gasps> yeah, and they could have been like Holly, and been she could have rolled her eyes and says, "I get that all the time." Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I told them. T- I told them five years ago they could, or yeah, mm. six years ago they could base. Uh, no, actually, not six. It would only be like three or four mm-hmm. because they they reprogrammed. Yeah, mm-hmm. mm. yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, let's see. Holly killed the squid, and yeah, uh, that's pretty much the quick end of the episode. Yep. And we didn't get an ambiguous end like I thought we were going to get. But it was a really nice tie-up of the season. This felt like a season ender. Which is curious, as it was originally designed to be the first episode. Yeah, indeed, yes. Of course it was. Beat me to that. (laughs) It's like, Um, film all the episodes, take a dartboard, and just... Wait, this was this was supposed to be the season opener? Yeah. Well, it that was would the, not have worked. It, it would was, not have worked. No, that was the original plan, mm. but once they got through to sort of the, the read-through stage, um, they all realised, hang on a minute, we can make this into, you know, last episode of the season. Things could genuinely have changed forever mm. if they managed to right. you know, fool people into thinking that. That walkway... Sorry, you go, Paul. I was going to say, it didn't stop... Um, Australian broadcasters, because um, I think Series 5 was the only season where they played it back to front. <laughs> well, they are down <laughs> under. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say that... Uh, what's, the word I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? The other way. There we are, there we are. Um, was um, literally the studio run between, um, between two stu- studio buildings. Oh, neat. Well, they made it look very... Because, because this uh, show was actually filmed in three distinct blocks. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Mm. The first, the first block, which was done at the beginning of the studio, uh, beginning of the schedule, I should say. Uh, Juliet May was still directing, and it involves the location scenes on board the Esperanto. The other two blocks were directed by Grant Nader as she left which involved the location work in the other rea- reality, that's the car park in the other way, and the studio recording in front of the audience. Mm-hmm. Well, it really uh, holds up as a cohesive whole, I thought, yeah. for all that. Uh, more more so than some episodes that were, you know, supposedly directed by one person. <laughs> um, and, all that, and all I've got to say on that one is thank goodness for that. Yeah. yeah. I have been worried so I have been so worried you guys were not going to like this episode. Why? Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's just, I mean, there's so much pressure on it because it is yeah. widely regarded as the best ever. Well, uh, it, rightfully we, we so. A, yeah, we did, we did our, our 25th anniversary survey recently with uh, several hundred people all voting and this came out at number one. So it's like, oh God, if they don't like this, then they're really not going to like the rest of it. But, you know, we, we're all very glad that you're on board. Okay, but I am Solid. I am a little worried, because we, we were talking, and we looked over season five, and it mm-hmm. has been the most solid season. Yeah, to mm-hmm. me, there's there's not a bad episode in the bunch, and it has some of the best, I think. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, and yeah, so I'm kind of, like, as far as looking at them as a cohesive whole, I thought season five so far has been my favorite. Yeah. But uh, is everything going to go downhill from here? <laughs> I'm so afraid yeah. that, because with some shows, you know, you get the middle of the series and then it's like, oh, this mm. is awesome. You know, they've gone past their growing pains and, you know, they've mm. really come together and then they jump the shark. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get yeah. a jump the shark anytime, are we? <laughs> I, I mean, you don't have to answer that, but <laughs> I think what you'll be dealing with is it's not that if if you consider this series to be the best, then it's not that the following series are necessarily bad, just not quite as good. They can still be really, really good. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I I thought this was a solid episode, and I mean. I... It is a gimmick episode in the sense that, yeah, it's using a well, well-worn well sci-fi trope, but mm-hmm. I, I don't mind that a lot. I actually like gimmicks and trope episodes mm-hmm. like that when they're character-driven and character-based yeah. and explore facets of the characters. And, you know, our sort of negative reaction to Backwards is because it was really not about the characters mm-hmm. at all. It, it was the, the focus was on, look what our cameras can do yeah. instead of the story and, and this i think was this was a good story and it explored some facets of the character's psyche as, as uh, uh the writers do really well in a lot of episodes and a lot of episodes this season especially got into rimmer's head especially trying to figure out what's wrong with that guy um, well not only that but also the high amount of continuity that they've brought to season five that's true yeah like they're they're actually you know not changing things except for you know throwaway lines like you can't swim and stuff like that that doesn't matter as much but you know like a line from lister last time when he's listing off Mm -hmm. (laughs) lister's listing off um uh, all the things he's done like played Mm -hmm. pool with planets and this and that Mm -hmm. then i'm like yeah these people have watched their own show and remember all this stuff Mm -hmm. it's good stuff (laughs) You should be able to take that for granted with most things, but not with Red Dwarf. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of episodes in the show where you, you know, and I think a lot of folks never didn't see it in order. But yeah, mm. really, it doesn't particularly matter what episode, what order you watch the episodes in, because the continuity between that, a given episode and the three episodes before mm. it or the seasons before it is not necessarily a given. Yeah. Um, Talking, it's not as self-referential. Sorry. But. Talking of continuity, did anybody write down where, well, Lister or Doyle found the car? Bay 47. Thank you. That is exactly the, the um, same bay that quarantine is in. Oh. Oh. I think nice. we're getting into some conspiracies. Oh, like, it's a clue. Just couldn't be bothered to think of a different number <laughs> like esperanto hope yeah it's a clue <laughs> mm-hmm. right and clue it's a clue isn't it <laughs> yeah so yeah solid solid episode i thought uh, it was cool um any more points before we move forward uh just to say that um the order no. 
<laughs> well, I could say no if you want me to say no. I mean, I've got, if you want me to, I don't mind. It's just, it's just, you, 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 like, you, it sounds like you're desperately trying to think of something to say. And it's like, well, I was going to mention the fact that the studio audience um, at the moment, the, the where the um, dwarfers hallucinate, they are Dwayne Dibley um, and Co. They were quite. They were incredibly silent. Yeah, it was yeah. half shock of mm. the plot development and half um, yeah. Timothy Spall being rubbish mm. in the first take. Mm. Oh. That's okay. He was nervous. He was good in the end. He was very mm. good in the end. He was. Although I, I'm notoriously bad at recognizing actors. I actually thought through the whole thing that it was um, Arthur Weasley. And so I was thinking, oh, yeah, and he was, like, his friend from, like, the beginning. And so, you know, they've programmed him into the beginning of the video game to help you learn how to... And I was like, no, wrong actor. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might be the accent throwing you there, because... Um, might have been. Mark, Mark Williams, uh, his native accent is Brummy, a Birmingham uh, and uh, Timothy Spall's accent in this was allegedly Brummy, although yeah. if you ask me, someone who is mm. from Birmingham is more sort of West Bromwich Wolverhampton. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I, I did grow, grow up with Timothy Spall on my screen, him being, of course, in Alpha Wisdom Pat. Yeah, which is awesome. It certainly is. I still think there's, there's something going on with J.K. Rowling and Red Dwarf. I yeah, that has I'm to be really, doesn't really it? That she watched the show, yeah. And a few neat concepts stuck with her, like Timothy Spall, maybe. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm-hmm. I loved him in that episode. I'm going to cast him. Wormtail will be about him because you know she's in charge of casting. <laughs> well, well, technically, she kind of was because she she um in the, oh. when when Warner Brothers approached her to make the film, she said she wanted to do a mainly British cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I they think cast she... any Americans. No. Um, well... Maybe the body actor sure. for Dobby? Uh, but I don't know. She did say, the, like, as far as... But um, that uh, Alan Rickman is Snape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that. I think they consulted sometimes. Connection. But... I could go down that road, but I'm not going to because it's not Red Dwarf. <laughs> Alright, uh, so, if there's no more points on the episode, we will get into some feedback. Okay. Feedback? What? Feedback on the Red Dwarf Intracast. Here we right. um, I will say mine because oh, I'm, I'm first, apparently. So <laughs> go for I put Dwayne Dibley is my idol. <laughs> Uh, Russ says one of my fave episodes although I do think it might have been more interesting to not have them wake up from the hallucination until episode 1 of season 6 see but would anybody have watched episode 1 of season 6 if they thought that the show had actually done that mm-hmm. um, I don't know anyway uh, I, I should just read your letter instead of commenting on it <laughs> uh, it would have been a great cliffhanger to think that this is the new red dwarf and these are the characters we'll be getting to know going forward Nine out of ten apples, and I'm not going to read the quote because somebody else might want the quote. Yeah. Sam Highland says, It is a good episode, but I feel it is slightly overrated. I prefer quarantine myself. 
The plot is very clever, but the way that it is done could alienate people who had been watching from the very start and don't know that there was another episode coming. But then it did give us Dwayne Dibley, and what's not to love about that? Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't disparage one, like, you know, just because quarantine is great doesn't mean that this episode can't also be equally great, Mm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, though, according to Ian, like, so you're, y'all are saying, though, that this is, like, the number one episode in, like, sort of definitively among the fandom? Yeah. Pretty At the so. moment, okay. it is. There's been, um, uh, the current, uh, the most recent poll would suggest that, but, um, I also looked at, in the, uh, some polls in the past, there's been sort of five big scale ones, and two of those were won by an episode that you've not yet seen. Ah. So, okay. there is more good stuff to come. Most good. Definitely. That makes me happy. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, Ewan Ankong uh, says, My second favourite episode. It's practically perfect. The plot is brilliant. There are plenty of funny moments as well. In particular, the Brummy gift. A, a lot of the fan attention has gone to Dwayne Dibley, and as much as I love him, I think I prefer Jake Bullet. I love how Crichton buys into it at first, and as as I've said in the spoilers group, he should get his own spin-off series. <laughs> Darren Forrest writes, Very well played episode. Love the car chase scene, even though I do wonder what's, what was in the office office cookies when it was written. <laughs> it was cute. Hmm. Nice. And then we get you some discussion. Yeah. Hmm. Back and forth. Why call traffic control cybernautics? Because, you know, and you name can... government agencies cool things when they do just not so cool things. <laughs> Especially in a totalitarian fascist state. Yes. Where it's, it's all about true. brainwashing and mind control and everything. There you go. There's a lot of discussion. Justified. Yeah. <laughs> well, we call... <laughs> Who wants to read Max's? I'll read Max's. Uh, okay. Back to Reality is obviously a fan favourite. And rightly so, I remember truly believing that it was game over and getting upset. Even if it's not my favorite episode, albeit close, nostalgia speaks louder than anything as far as Red Dwarf is concerned. Who doesn't smile when they think of Dwayne Dibley? That wasn't the best thing in the episode for me. I don't know. (laughs) I I thought it was a nice gag. In my opinion, he had the line of the whole episode. I will save that for my line. Yeah, I ha- I have to uh, say this on the subject of um, talk ta- to, um, naming things above their station. One yes. of one of my chief officers is the land management officer, when in reality he's more of the head groundskeeper. Aww. Hmm. Awesome. Is he, is he the assistant regional manager or assistant to the original <laughs> regional manager? <laughs> sure. uh, is it time for the advert? Hey? I suppose if we wanted to do an advert, we could do one right now. My name is Lou Sitzma. I'm the one responsible. I introduced Karen to Farscape. She got sucked into the series big time. Now we're doing this podcast together. I've created a monster. Reviewing all 88 episodes and the four-hour miniseries. That's a lot of podcasts. At the end, will it be enough for her? It has to be. 
but the thing that scares me most my biggest fear is by the time we get to the end hope we can make it will the two of us still be on talking terms it could get ugly good thing the journey is sure to be a blast lots of great skater conversations captured in these chronicles so you can know the wondrous things that we've heard Put on your leather pants and reload your pulse pistol. I'm on another planet. What the frell? I hate this stuff. Chicks on it. Can I get a hell yeah! It's my duty, my breeding since birth. It's what I am. You can be more. Escape Cast, your guide to the wonders of Farscape. Listen to the Scaper Chronicles at scapecast.org. And we're back. And once again, thank you all for the feedback. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us uh, on the Facebook site, which is uh, the Red Dwarf Introcast. Uh, you could uh, hop onto the spoiler side if you want to talk about seasons 7, 8, 9, 10, and beyond. <laughs> or <laughs> number 6 as well. Or 6, yeah, yeah. I don't talk about 6. Shit. That season <laughs> sucks. <laughs> uh, well, you don't know. We haven't seen it. Um... Let's see. You could uh, email us at uh, the Red Dwarf Podcast at gmail.com. That's Gmail. It's they spell it for some reason. Um, you could Twitter at us at twitter.com slash Red Dwarf Intro. And you can pop on to iTunes and uh, give us five stars and subscribe and make a nice comment about us and say, like, how we're the greatest Red Dwarf podcast ever, except for maybe Ganymede and Titan, because uh, they're pretty awesome too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You're definitely up there as one of the best, second best podcasts. All right, I'll take it. Make a comment about how we're not Ganymede and Titan, even though we got really confused at first. And accidentally stole oh, good times, good times. So, uh, it's time to uh, rate the episode. And Ian, as our special guest, you get to uh, drop the first rating on us. Well, uh, as I've said, it was the first episode I ever saw, and is also, I agree with the consensus that it is the best episode of all time. So for me, it really has been all downhill from the opening moment. But uh, I will give it, uh, I'm going to break your system, I'm going to give it 11 out of 10 glorious decades of total law enforcement. Okay, spinal tap. (laughs) It goes up to 11. Alright. Okay, I'll go next. Um... Sure. I, uh, I, I, I can't speak enough. I love this episode. It's my joint favourite along with um, Quarantine. I, I can't separate those two as my favourite. They're, they're both really, really good. Although I probably would rate this. If if, if I actually did the um, ranking of episodes, this would be number one. Um, so actually I can separate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, so I, I can't will, do I, that. I'm, yes, I can. Yeah. I, I have to agree with Ian. I have to go with uh, 11 bottles of lithium out of 10. Ugh, I was going to go with lithium carbonate. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> Search for something else. Somebody else go. Um, Sorry. I thought this was a really good episode. Uh, I enjoyed it immensely. Um, I'm busily putting together the adventures of Jake Bullet in my head that have probably <laughs> all been written down. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give it, uh, 10 out of 10 fashionable trench coats. Nice. Uh, I've come up with a rating system, so I'm going to go before Shane can steal it. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I thought it was really, yeah, I thought this was, it was good. I could not have asked for anything better for a season closer. Uh, good gimmick, played very well, 
uh, playing with the reality unreliable narrator used to good effect, explored the characters a bit, um, had a good resolution to it. I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 blatant clues. <laughs> I love this episode too. Um, it's one of my favorites. It is not my favorite. Shocking. Um, but we haven't done that episode yet, so we'll get. I'll talk about that when we get there. But I will even have to give it ten planet, planets of the nymphomaniacs. That, that, that's, that's, that's nymphomaniac overload, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> in total, uh, it's received more than fifty out of fifty, which is good. Yes, <laughs> fifty-two out of fifty. Perfect. Yeah. All right. Uh, well. We have rated, we have summarized, we have discussed, and hypothesized. Now it is time to quoterize. So, Ian, would you like to drop the first quote on us? Why not? Uh, This is a nightmare. Oh, sorry. How dare you. Right. (laughs) Oh, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Stop there. I just realized. It's my favourite line in the whole show. Well, go on, Ian. I do do have others. I can can leave it for you if you like. I've got a couple of others. No. No, go on. Go on, Ian. Go on. This is a nightmare. I'm on the run from the fascist police with a murderer and a mass murderer and a man in a bright on shirt. I'm a piece of flotsam, jetsam, human wreckage sputum bag who smells like a yaklatrine. And now my best Flash's Mac is about to be splattered with an android's brain. I'm after you with the gun. <laughs> nice. Alright, I just realised that wasn't the line I was going to do. Oh, I, got, I, panicked. <laughs> I panicked over nothing. I, I, I said the first part of thingy and it's, it's not that. My, my line... Well, go, you do your line now, Paul. Go ahead. What the hell happened to my teeth? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I know that sounded nothing like this is a nightmare, but it it, it, it's, it reminded me. I thought it was a bit well. Do you know where the Lister right at the beginning? He's like, yeah. Is yeah. this a dream? Where am I? I'm human. Yeah. I, Let's. Yeah. I liked uh, Jake Bullet, cybernetic detective. I like that. That sounds like the kind of hard-living flatfoot who gets the job done by cutting corners and bucking authority. And if those pin-pussers up at City Hall don't like it, well, they can park their overpaid fat behinds on this mid digit <laughs> I'm not sure if we have a, an uh, uh, explicit tag. Uh, on this mid-digit and swivel. Swivel <laughs> till they squeal like pigs on a honeymoon. <laughs> and if this was a video podcast, you'd have to blur out the finger as well. <laughs> yes. It's all in the captain's message. It's all in the microdot. Hang on a minute. Are you are you seriously telling me you were playing the Pratt version of Rimmer for all that time? For four years? Wow, that's a classic. <laughs> Pratt version of Rimmer. <laughs> the recuperation lounge. I keep telling you, but I mean you... No wonder you only score four percent. Cool. What a bunch of twonks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Surprisingly, I did not have many quotes for this episode. I yeah. Was, maybe I was just watching it too hard and not looking for quotes. Um, Look, fascists for a third glorious decade of total law enforcement. Be a government enforcer. Betray your family and friends. Fabulous prizes to be won. There you go, Russ. I read it out for you. <laughs> there you go. Yes, that was Russ's. Yes. That's his quote. I'm okay, I don't seem to be affected. True, I don't think anyone's truly loved me my entire life. Oh, but... I forgot about that. <laughs> okay, so moving forward, they have to eventually get back to 
we've, we've learned a little bit about Rimmer's past, and I think we're going to learn more. But Lister's mysterious father behind the giant dog, we, we need yeah. this. Mm. Uh, it's, I think it's time to do that. Um, <laughs> I predicted that Castle was going to go there, and then that they finally have. Yep. So, anyway. Uh, any more quotes? Um, I, I was like you. I, I couldn't... I couldn't get like a lot of quotes. I was just enjoying it. Well, in in, in some ways, I mean, I think it's not that the writing in this episode was a bit different in that it was less a series of, of you know, sometimes they do more one-liners yeah. and zingers, which is which is always fun. <clears throat> this one, they were like really driving this plot forward, mm. and I think taking less time to do. Oh, it'll be funny if he said this than to to actually plotticize a bit, and it it, it worked. Oh, I, I have really one. Wish- I, I have really one. Wish I'd... Okay. I'm not Dwayne Diddley. No, I am Rimmer. I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really wish I'd written down the um, the quote uh, uh, Rimmer when when he's um, describing uh, Billy Doyle. Um, you can do it from memory. Can you? Yeah. Both both versions. Lay it on us. Go on then. Uh, Billy Doyle. That sounds like a name that's come from the wrong side of the tracks, doesn't it? His wife's probably all blotchy legs and no tights, a string of illegitimate children. Has to take up petty crime in order to pay the court orders for maintenance. Before he knows it, he's standing in a bank with a sawn-off shotgun. Somehow it goes off. An old lady gets both barrels through a crochet bubble hat. All he can do is hide. But where? And then it hits him. With his ill-gotten gains, he can buy four years playing a computer game and wait till the heat's off. So ends the ballad of Billy Granny Killer Doyle. (laughs) And I can do the version two. Uh, William Doyle. William Doyle. Good old Bill Doyle. You know, that sounds like a hell of a name to me. Probably connected with the Boston Doyles. Old money, blue chip stock. You know, I think it's all starting to come back to me now. What puzzles me slightly is what a man of such undoubted good breeding would be doing wearing a coat that smells like an elderly male yak has taken a leak in both the pockets. No, it isn't. (laughs) Oh my god, my name is Billy Doyle and my cologne is Odie Yak Urine. (laughs) And this has been Red Dwarf Theatre. Red Dwarf (laughs) Theatre. I still think we should do that just once, just just for a laugh. Oh. Maybe someday. At the moment, I'm barely barely doing good to get the podcast out. I'm yeah. drugged up on dinner. Have you have so. you on the um, Ganymede and Titan ever thought about doing it? We did a fan film a few years ago, uh, which oh, is fun. featured on the Series 7 DVD, uh, which oh. contains a lot of um, our ina- reenacting, re reversioning of Red Dwarf quotes. Uh, but Heath and Angela won't be allowed to watch that for at least another uh, three series yeah. worth of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. I'm, I look forward to it. I, I wouldn't. It's not very that, good. Uh... <laughs> oh, I should. I should say I do have the series seven DVD in my hand, and I'm going to be put, and I'll be putting on because I haven't actually watched uh, series seven for a while, so. Reporting on as soon as the uh, show's finished. Nice. <laughs> cool. Well, it has been a great season, I think. Yes. Looking over the, just sort of a retrospective, it's it's that six solid episodes right there. And, uh, like, there were, you know, 
some some better than others I think but all very good and and uh, you know there weren't any uh, episodes that I thought were particularly weak like I have in some past seasons um, it's been fun and this was a good ender to it Ian thank you for joining us today uh, no worries I enjoyed it I've been really enjoying listening to uh, the intro cast uh, since it started of getting a fresh perspective after all these years two people who've never seen it before it's really unique perspective well, I'm looking forward to finally getting caught up so I can get on y'all's side. Yeah. What the hell's going on there? <laughs> You've got about <laughs> ten people years. People are cursing our name and parentage. But, you know, um, <laughs> and also what you say about uh, the show. Um, You've got ten years' yes. worth of stuff to catch up on. I know. See whole right. forums uh, that well, say, two out of ten? What was she thinking? <laughs> Although, officially, it was three out of ten. It was. After you found out about the end joke yeah. that the actor put in, mm. The, mm. the one guy in the world that's going to take this tape and reverse it to see what I'm saying. Um, it'll still, okay. still two out of ten for me, damn it. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, next week's episode, Shane. Next week's episode is Red Dwarf USA. Uh, bum, bum, bum. Why, Shane? Why? Do I have to? Do I have to? <laughs> really? You don't have to, no, but... If no you one's required to. I'm giving next to. week a miss. I, oh. uh, full disclosure, Angela and I got really curious a while back, and so we watched like five minutes yeah. of Red Dwarf USA just to see. And it looks like that they decided that the way to make it more palatable to a U.S. audience would be to take sort of an interesting uh, ruffian lead character and turn him into someone very boring. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that works out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say, though, I, uh, ju- of course, I don't think you'll find a Buffy fan that doesn't, but uh, Hit and Battle, man. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a mm. great actor. He is. Um, mm. And I think Shane has mentioned that, like, both uh, Danny John Jules and uh, Battle, when they're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want that person playing the part. I don't want to have to play the part once that person gets mm. a hold mm-hmm. of it or I'm going to look mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so and battle is awesome. That at least will be interesting. <laughs> Craig Bierko is a good actor as well. He's just mm. not necessarily right for that role. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you'll say this next week. Yeah, we'll get in, get into that next week. Yeah, after six episodes of praising Red Dwarf, then <laughs> yeah, it's time to take out the blowtorches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, put it this way: Angela will be using her famous scoreline next week. I will be. <laughs> and I won't get flamed for doing it. Indeed, everyone will agree with me. <laughs> I am, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit curious uh, to to actually sit down and watch it and see. Uh, you know, recently a show called uh, Community. Uh-huh. Um, do you, do y'all get that over there at all? I just started watching it this weekend, so I might have to take my headphones off if you start spoiling me. <laughs> it's not anything yeah. totally spoilery, um, but they're like the old die in the end. Uh, <laughs> or in the they beginning, they start to be fans of a of like a, a fictionalized version of of Doctor Who, mm-hmm. mm. and uh, then but there's just a one off joke about um, they're going to adapt their Doctor Who show into an American show, and so they get the, the Chevy Chase character changes. on there as part of the focus group to adapt it, and he's like. Oh no, that's too confusing. You need to make that character into a hot chick with a a tennis racket. And 
And all this time travel stuff, it's just really confusing and off-putting and... <laughs> just, yeah. just have him hang out with the hot chick with the tennis racket. <laughs> so, yeah, there's sort of commentary on Americanized versions of... Uh, <clears throat> elementary. <clears throat> don't suppose uh, Eric Roberts is involved as the buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> elementary. Just saying. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, sometimes it works. I think the American version of The Office, once it realized that if it kept trying to copy the British version wasn't going to be any good and made its own show. Yeah. It turned out to be a pretty cool show. Yeah. Um, we watched it. Still watching it. But the second I hear of anyone trying to make a version of Faulty Towers, I'm blowing up a movie studio. <laughs> hey, let, let's not... It's happened twice. <laughs> There's been two. Wait. They've tried to adapt Faulty Towers? Twice. Mm. Um, one was called Pain. Um, which is more descriptive of the viewing experience than anything. Um, <laughs> I would and imagine. There was another one that I can't remember the name of, but basically the main change they made was to remove Basil Fawlty. Mm. <laughs> of course. And it was about as successful because, as you'd expect. Be- because, you know, Basil well, Fawlty, he's not that. integral to the show. Fawlty Towers. Mm. Yeah. I've seen one episode of Pain. And it was basically a remake of the famous Forty Towers episode where Bezzer Forty's hitting the car with the bush. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah. Anyway. So some shows, there's just no remaking. No. Others, maybe, but, you know, I don't think Red Dwarf bore trying to... It was. It's already so, so much of an odd genre, mixing sci-fi and comedy. Yeah. And, and sort of a 30-minute seg- uh, sitcom the way that they do, that trying to add a third curveball of switching from British comedy to a, a more American-based audience, I don't see how it could have worked. No. If you want to make an original sci-fi space comedy, go for it. But don't try and cash in on something that's already been created. That's what the BBC did. They tried to cash in on their own product, didn't they? Uh, yeah. What was, that, what was that show that um, Nick Frost was in? Uh, hyperdrive. Hyper- mm. Hyperdrive. That was, that was a Red Dwarf rip if I ever saw one. Mm. Well, Red Dwarf had jokes in it and plots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what they omitted from the uh, later version. I've well, did, most episodes did not have make plots. Sh- Some had backwards camera tricks. <laughs> <laughs> I've not... never seen Hyperdrive, and I don't think I ever want to. Do, yeah, I was going to say, do not make Keith and Angela watch Hyper. No. Yeah. No, it's funny because <laughs> after we've done Red Dwarf 10, I'm actually going to get Shane to watch and review an episode of Hyperdrive. <laughs> if he's putting me through Red Dwarf USA, I'm putting him through Hyperdrive. <laughs> well, that's fine. <laughs> Deal. That's, that's fine. That's fine. At which point, Angela and I will probably be far, far away. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we, we need to wrap yes. up, guys. Thank yeah. you again, Ian, for joining us. I hope you will be joining us again in the future. Do you have anything lined up? Um, well, if you'll have me, I'm uh, I'm free. Um, so if you look, as if Mr. You look, Humphrey said. Uh, if you look on the um, spoilers page, there is a uh, sign-up sheet uh-huh. uh, document. Do. So if there's a, yeah, unfortunately, you may not like the, the episodes <laughs> that are remaining. Mm-hmm. I thought that might be the case. Sometimes it's easier to review bad episodes than it is the good ones. I would recommend... There is one that I would recommend you actually take. In fact, I'm just going to put you in for it anyway. Because... (laughs) (laughs) Okay! Thanks for volunteering. (laughs) Here we call that army volunteering. Fair enough. Uh, I mean... So, next week, yeah, we are going to hop on to Red Dwarf 
USA. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and interesting experiment. But let's go ahead and try and make our prediction. What is Season 6, Episode 1 titled? It's, it's titled Sirens. P-S-I-R-E-N-S. Ooh. P-S-I-R-E-N-S? Yeah, Sirens. Okay. okay, so obviously huh. it's uh, calling on the idea of Sirens from the Odyssey, which were uh, women in the sea who called sailors to their death. But now with Psy. Well, and that that PS thing could yeah. be a reference to psychic mm-hmm. or psychosis, you know, as, so they might have mental powers rather than just enchanting voices and, you know, boobs. Um, but They'll probably the, have the boobs, other though. Possibility, <laughs> well, probably. The other possibility, uh, PSI pounds per, per square inch. So we could be dealing with something to deal with pressure. Um, some weird bit. Oh, you know what? Something we didn't bring up. Okay. Does the psychic squid represent the first instance of alien life on Red Dwarf? No. Its origins were human. It, they seeded the, the, that planet to have life. But it evolved on a different planet. It evolved beyond what they thought that it would. Um, is it... An alien. Don't say anything, if... Ian. Why? Well, oh, okay. I can talk about things in past episodes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will say that if you consider the despair squid an alien, then you have to consider the cat an alien as well, because it also um... had terrestrial origins, but mm-hmm. evolved beyond uh, expected, as you just said, and also away from Earth. So yeah. it, it's definitely not the first, but um, it depends on your in your definition. Okay. Oh, I have a prediction right. for the uh, U.S. Red Dwarf pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the captain will be British. Because, you know, in okay. Red Dwarf, then the captain was American. and I also have a prediction for the American one. It will, be the lowest, it will be the lowest rated episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. So, yeah, back back to predi- my prediction. Okay, so sirens. So either we have psychic sirens, uh, some sort of beings that are trying to lure them to their death with, uh, with superpowers and sexiness, or pounds per square inch, uh, some race or species or something that happens in high-pressure uh, situations. So... Like a an atmosphere that's like ten times the density or gravity of Earth or something, and they do a gag with everybody barely crawling about. Mm. So I don't know, maybe we'll see. I, I think Angela is actually probably right on this. I'm thinking Psychic Sirens it would be a good season opener. Of course not. But we'll find that out in a couple of weeks after we suffer through Red Dwarf Usa. Thanks, Shane. Thank you for joining us. We will see you then. And bye. 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 bye.